The Reef Therapy Podcast is powered by ICP Analysis. If you'd like to win a free saltwater ICP analysis kit and a freshwater analysis kit, all you have to do is leave a comment down below using the hashtag what's in your water. If you're listening to the audio only version, head on over to YouTube and you can enter in the comment section there. ICP Analysis will test over 50 elements down to parts per trillion. These tests can also be used to see if there's any undesirable elements in your aquarium as well. Register your aquarium on the ICP Analysis app, fill your sample, place it back into the bag, slap on that included postage, and have your results one to three days after it's received. More at icpanalysis.com. Hey, Reef Builders, and welcome to episode number 90 of the Reef Therapy Podcast powered by ICP Analysis. Today, we'll get an update on everything with us, and then we'll also chat with our guest, Austin Lefebvre, as, hey guys. as Raj told me to say it. I would <laughs> never say anything like that. I can't believe you would blame me. How do you say your last name? Uh, I answer to anything, but uh, Lefebvre is how I'm told it's supposed to be said. Lefebvre of Tenji Aquarium Design and Build. So happy to have you on tonight. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Thanks so much for the invite, guys. Glad I could make it. Uh, well, do you want to go around the horn, Raj? Anything new in your tank world? Not really. Haven't made much progress, shocker, since we last talked. I, actually, no, I, I take that back. I, Austin, I'm curious if you've tried this product, but I just got it from Champion. It's called SeaTac, and it's some sort of adhesive that you can use underwater that cures underwater, uh, but it's it's really tacky. But it looks like it could work really well for the rock through the glass project that I'm still tinkering with. So kind of excited to test that out. And I've I got sidetracked a bit and was going to try and just see how the SeaTac stuff sticks to all kinds of things around the office. And, you know, that's, it's going to be fun when people discover their little nubs of rock randomly all over the place. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely heard of it and excited to try it at some point. We haven't gotten our hands on it. Um, I'm not uh, personally huge on prototyping for big projects, so I love uh, you guys to go out and try it for me and, and then I'll put it in, put it to the test. Um, but I have seen that around, so keep me posted. I'm excited to see what comes of it for sure. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll post some stuff about it, and I'll definitely let you know. I'm, I'm kind of excited about it, so we'll see. Nice. It rocks to stick to file cabinets really well with it, but not so much glass. <laughs> <laughs> New article in the works. You know what's hilarious, uh, Raj, is that uh, my daughter has this journal every week that like we have to respond to as parents. So we have to go in and like, you know, dear Emerson, and we have to go through. She had in her journal last week how they learned about Dale Chihuly <laughs> and his blown glass. And I thought that was so funny. Like my third graders learning about blown glass and your... Uh, your light coverings, essentially. That's amazing. <laughs> Does she pronounce his name correctly? Because that's a big bonus. She actually, <laughs> she she corrected me. I was like, Dale Chaluli? Heck yeah, <laughs> man. And she was like, it's Chihuly, Dad. <laughs> okay. All right. Awesome. Deal with the eye patch. <laughs> um, anything else going on in your world, Raj, or shall we move on? Oh, I mean, you know, same as usual. Just gearing up for next right. year. That's all. Very good. 
Very good. Uh, Red Sea is still kicking. Got through my first water exchange. It was fantastic. Uh, as you can see behind me, still very bare in there, which is fine by me at this point. Uh, Purple Tang is in. Purple Tang has not disturbed the peace in the tank thus far, which is good. Um, and uh, yeah, also also ended up with that uh, assessor basslet in there too. So every, every all the, the tank community members are good so far. We'll see what happens as they age and get larger. But uh, I think for the most part, they're all doing their jobs and uh, keeping that algae down in this first like ugly phase of the tank. I think what's also helped is the is the live sand from um, from the Caribbean. I really nice. think that that's helped a lot um, with keeping this at bay per se so uh and and that unknown crab in the sump is also doing a heck of a great job so it's <laughs> always the unknown crab in the sump right <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i think we should name him eventually but it has to be it has to be a french name no offense austin but no, i just feel like all crabs are french for whatever reason <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's jacques from finding nemo i don't know there you go um austin off the off offhand i guess is there anything that uh, is challenging you right now that you'd like to kind of get off your chest as part of reef therapy before we get to know uh, you? Well, uh, that I can talk about. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, there's a vendor called MRC that I'm always struggling to get a hold of. <laughs> no, 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 just kidding. Um, no, not not particularly. You know, I'll I'll say we have had a couple of vendors be a little slower than usual lately, and I've heard some um, some odd replies as to why that's happening. You know, we're well beyond coronavirus working. Um, so uh, it's 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 just a function of people getting busy, not really being totally prepared for it, and then and then backing right up to the holiday season. Um, you know, so we've been through it before and uh, and it feels good to say that out loud though. You know, thanks for for giving me the opportunity, <laughs> yeah, Rami. Yeah. But yeah, no, n nothing else at the top of my head for sure. Okay. Well uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Um let's let's hear about your journey in this hobby you know from where it started even as a kid if that applies you know your first tank and then on up to what has led you to tenji uh the current and your current spot sure yeah um that should probably be easier to answer than it is um i was actually going through some old photos the other day uh uh, uh a friend passed away unfortunately and i was looking for some old photos of us and i stumbled across a whole section of uh sea world photos see there was a sea world in ohio when i grew up and i'm from michigan southeast michigan and uh it looks like we went two or three times a year um back in the day and then we had the toledo zoo and so i was always kind of infatuated with you know aquatic life um my first tank i believe held newts uh firebelly newts i had a trio of them larry curly and moe uh, and, uh, then my dad cleaned the tank with a pretty heavy bleach solution and, uh, they didn't make it too long after that. Unfortunately, um, we got into fish at some point I was eight to 10, uh, <clears throat> and, you know, didn't, didn't know a heck of a lot about dechlorinators and the appropriate way to keep things going. And I, I do vaguely recall a beta fish being in with some goldfish at one point. Um, so we had some tough learning lessons as a kid. Um, but I really got into it. Uh, like early high school, I, I started keeping some bigger freshwater tanks. Um, and the store I was working with just always said, you know, you're a pretty good aquarist. You have a decent sized tank. You should consider saltwater. 
And uh, we all know what a slippery slope that can turn into. So my first saltwater <laughs> tank was a 75 gallon. And, uh, and this store I, I kept going back to, I, I kept looking at angelfish. That's what really always grabbed my attention. And it was uh, Pomacanthus novarcus. Um, what's the M- majestic angel? It's a common name, I think. Um, they had one transitioning and I was like, wow, the colors are so funky. And he showed me what it would eventually become. And I kind of fell in love with that fish. So that was actually my first fish that I brought home. Um, it got uh, Popeye pretty quick because I had too much darn live rock in the tank. And, and I went back to the store saying, what, what kind of fish did you sell me? It's got this popped out eye after a couple of days, you know, and, uh, lot, lots to learn after that. So I think that was like 2001. Um, 2000, 2001. And then I actually started working for that store uh, the next year in 2002 while I was in high school. So that was my first kind of foray into the industry. Um, I worked. How much was a majestic angel back in 2001? Fantastic question. And, you know, this store was known to to have pretty cheap fish. Um, So I'm going to guess like 40 bucks, 35, 40 bucks, maybe, because it was an expensive, you know, fish for the time, I would say. Um, I recall us having a lot of fish available for 10, 15, 20 dollars. Um, but the Navarcus was, you know, the next step up from that, if you will. Sure. Um, did it, uh, um, did it make it? Did you? It did it? make it. Yeah. Yeah, it did make it. And, um, and then I wanted to get into, into, into coral as the progression goes, right? And, uh, and the store was quick to say, don't you dare put coral in with, uh, you know, with that fish. And, and I didn't listen. Um, and <laughs> the fish visited the coral frequently and turned it into a nub. Uh, so eventually I did wind up trading in that fish. And I actually regret it to this day. I, I, I never kept a Navarcus angel personally again. I've, I've worked with a few dozen of them since then, but I never kept one again. Um, and, and then, yeah, I've been doing it professionally pretty much since then. I did take a, about a year, year and a half hiatus and uh, worked for an engineering company. Um, you know, the, the more typical career, if you will. And uh, just found myself kind of bored to tears. I wasn't great behind a desk, I suppose. And uh, I, I was still writing for the industry and did some side work at the time. So I never fully left. Um, but then jumped back in head first and took a giant pay cut and said, you know, I'm going to try and make this fish thing work. <laughs> uh, so yeah, worked for that company for a while. And then I went off on my own. Um, at some point, I want to say probably 2011 or so. Um, and I ran a couple different businesses in Southeast Michigan. We did uh, ponds and water features was one side of it, which was really big in that area. Um, it's becoming more popular where I am out here now, which is central California. Um, a lot of koi ponds and then just simple water features too. And, and I was still into aquariums at the time, but they were a different enough business that I decided to separate it. And so the other, the other section was the aquarium business. And that's how I eventually let, met our lovely co-host, Mr. Raj here, um, got into bigger builds over time and, you know, needed various equipment, um, and started traveling with, uh, the cherry corals boys who are uh, still around today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I absolutely guarantee you that without them, I wouldn't be talking to you guys here today. Um, not only did they become some of my really good friends, I think they do a phenomenal job with the coral that they grow and that they bring in and care for. And uh, that's why I became friends with them. Not because they were local to me. I was like, man, these guys are actually doing it right. And, uh, you know, in the early two thousands, that wasn't commonplace. Um, so glad that it is more commonplace now. So I started traveling with those guys and we'd go to shows in New York and, 
St. Louis and Miami or not Miami, but Fort Lauderdale and, you know, all over the country. And uh, that really helped grow my network. And I just met uh, vendors like like Raj mentioned and then uh, various clients actually I started meeting through there and uh, kind of started flying around the country building tanks at that point for just kind of random people. You know, I didn't have YouTube presence. I still don't. I'm not great with that type of technology or social media and, and I'm okay with that. So you guys that are great, keep it going. You know, we, we, I, I watch the show and, and uh, we need all of the entertainment we can get, but uh, that's not typically coming from me. <laughs> um, and, and then eventually I met uh, the, the Tenji owners at a, actually a show I was at with Raj in, in Boston. That was the first time I met him in person. Um, it was called raw regional aquatic workshop, which is kind of, was like- it a letdown? Huge letdown. Yeah, no. it, was, it, was, it was like they say, "Don't meet your heroes," right? Were you like, "Dang, that's what you look like"? Oh, oh man, nice. you go, you look like me, Mark. No, um, yeah, Raw is kind of like a public aquarium magna. Um, a lot of fun, a lot of great networking that happens, and um, so we, we we met there and parted ways and talked about a couple projects we were both looking at at the same time, and then we met again at a magna some months later. This is the the co-owner of Tenji Mark, and uh, I I ran to the restroom, and uh, my wife was there, and 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 later that night she said, you know, when you ran to the restroom, Mark kept leaning over and telling me that he thinks I'd really like Monterey, California, where where Tenji is based. And I was like, that's random. Why the hell is he? You know, and I told this to another friend, uh, Kai, who was there, and then Raj, and they were like, well, yeah, obviously they're gonna try and poach you or bring you out there. Um, so that's how that connection went. And uh, at that time, I wasn't really interested in moving my business, but my wife was very interested in escaping Michigan winters. Um, so there was a little pull from from every direction and Tenji needed the help and uh, sounded like a, a good time. So we made the leap, which was, uh, as you can imagine, difficult leaving everything uh, that we'd grown for many years to, to work for someone else. That was not my direction or, or plan at all. Um, but we just turned six years here and uh, these guys run a, an, an amazing company and it's it's uh, kind of the best of everything we need. We, we try and hire. So that's the designers, the fabricators, you know, and then we uh, work with the best vendors that we can find. Um, and over the years have built just some fantastic relationships that allows us to pull these projects off. That's awesome. Uh, fun fact, my first legit coral was from Cherry Corals. Hey, nice. It's like... It was two uh, two hammers and two zoa frags. Right on, uh, awesome. Do not have those anymore. Yeah, so. that happens. They have more <laughs> for you, Remy. I'm sure of that. I know. <laughs> I've heard. I've heard. <laughs> yeah, the last uh, time yeah, I they, was there, their zoa collection. It's like, I mean, it's literally just raceways full of corals, right? You know. So yeah. we go to the shows and we see these tanks full of beautiful corals, but when you see a you know forty square feet right in front of you, one chunk after the other coral, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They run a, they run a tight ship over there. I, I sometimes I'll, I'll just go to their website just to look because they have such great presentation of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah and it's, it's fun seeing those guys at shows cause they're always around. Mm-hmm. Um, I, remember they always I saw cool you merch. on, Do you remember yeah. Oh yeah. They've got a really cool yeah. logo. Yeah. yeah. That, that dragon one, that's, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's the one. Brett Harris's handiwork. I threatened to get that as a tattoo at some point, but, uh, <laughs> I haven't, uh, I still have like three or four of those shirts. So those are awesome. I, uh, I saw you on reef bum a couple years ago. You did an oh, cool. interview with Keith yeah. and I think we were at the height of COVID. I think it, you know, maybe, maybe 
I don't want to say like in the middle of it, but maybe on the middle to back half of it. And you had mentioned, and I think we all have noticed that there was a lot of people coming to the hobby. A lot of people had extra time on their hands. Some people had extra money on their hands. So they were getting into the hobby. Now that we're on the other side of that, from your perspective, has there been any change here in 2023 that you've noticed? That's a great question. So <clears throat> first and foremost, Tenji was born out of Monterey Bay Aquarium in 2001. Uh, three curators started the business back then, and their whole focus was kind of building uh, aquariums for, well, public aquariums, museums, and science centers. The residential and commercial aspect didn't come in until later. So the company's kind of always been focused more on that industry. So pre-COVID, we were about roughly 75, 80% of our business was the public aquarium science centers and 20, 25% was private residential builds and then commercial builds, which would be like doctor's offices, lawyer's offices, malls, airports, that kind of thing. When COVID happened, that percentage flipped. And that's probably what I was talking to Keith about at the time. And I, we'll all be honest at Tenji, we, we thought we were going to be sending out resumes when, when COVID happened because our business is based on public spaces that sell tickets to people that come in and, and learn uh, and have fun. Well, if they're not going to sell any tickets, our phone's going to stop ringing. Um, and what wildly happened was the phone kept ringing, but it was from the people who used to go visit the aquariums. They're at home now. They can't travel. Hey, I've always kind of thought about an aquarium. Austin, let's talk about an aquarium in my home. My first answer is you probably don't want one, typically. You know, I'm, I'm pretty rough around the edges when someone's like, ah, heeing and hawing about an aquarium. Let's be honest. You don't want an aquarium. If you want an aquarium, you have to want an aquarium. You have to be all in yeah, for yeah. it, right? And then let's go. Okay, let's let's go. Um, so I would say that kind of leveled out back to the ratio that it was pre-COVID, but not to the extent that it was. We're still getting a lot more calls for um, private sector and, and commercial sector, um, which is kind of where I was born and raised, right? I came up working in people's homes, you know, doing maintenance and lawyers tanks and doctor's offices in Michigan. And uh, that was kind of my forte. And, and so coming to Tenji and working a lot behind the scenes doing the public aquarium stuff was very different aspect. Um, I think we're probably 60, 40 ish now, uh, public aquariums to private residential and commercial stuff. And um, we're very happy with with that ratio. We're, we're happy, frankly, if the phone rings for any ratio, you know, we're, we are a business at the end of the day. And there's very much pros and cons to both sides of it. So personally, I love running both projects at the same time. You know, I'll get the best of both worlds and I'll get the worst of both worlds. But then at least I'm, I'm in the kind of both worlds at the same time. And they are very different. The way we approach them, the way we pull them off, the work that goes into them. Um, right now I am mostly private industries. I'm running, you know, a handful of projects and I think only probably a quarter of them right now are, are public projects, but there is other project managers at Tenji. So that's only a small snippet of, of what we're doing. You know, the two co-owners, um, they do the really big public aquarium projects, um, and so they're always more focused in that world. Um, for example, most of those projects take three to five years to pull off, where a residential project will be one to two years typically to pull off. So there's just more time that goes into them. Gotcha. Yeah, it was interesting. I don't know if you you did any work with the St. Louis Aquarium, but in 2019, they were set to open and did open on Christmas Day of 2019. <laughs> 
two months later, they had to close their doors and they, I was doing YouTube content at the time and they actually let me in to go like tour the place when nobody else was in there. We were in masks. It was crazy, but, uh, got to document like the beginnings of their one coral tank that they have there. I think they've got a couple tanks with coral in them, but there's only one designated coral tank that everybody just walks by. Um, which sucks because they all want to see sharks and octopuses and things. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was interesting. Uh, you had mentioned doctors, lawyers, dentists, that kind of thing. I've always wondered if there's any, uh, favorite fish amongst occupations. Like do dentists have a favorite fish over lawyers and doctors or, you know, is there any trends there at all? You know, I've, I've never been asked that. And as soon as you (laughs) ask that, Yes. The thing with a resounding yes, I have no idea why I'm asked for it. It's not down to a species, but they ask for eels. Hmm. And like most doctors and dentists office I've worked in, I got to have an eel, Austin. I got to have an eel. And, and a lot of times they, well, not a lot of times, but at least half the time they'll have an existing aquarium. And for me, an eel is a biotope animal, right? If, if you want an eel, I'm going to design a tank for an eel, like for that species. And there's going to be pretty specific things built into that, like keeping them in the tank, for example, was number one. Um, and yeah, they'll want these giant moray eels in like a 75-gallon tank. Um, <laughs> so once we get past that hiccup, no, guys, we're not going to put a giant eel or any eel in this tank that's not designed for them. How about some Bengay cardinals? They'd look great. Um but that's a great question, Rami. Eels are the big thing. Clownfish are, are, you know, up there for sure as well. But nowadays, this is interesting. You guys are getting me to think. Um, you know, the past five, six years, I would say, I get asked for a lot less clownfish than we used to. Used to be just clownfish, clownfish, clownfish. You get sick of hearing about it, right? Um, and now we... <laughs> Uh, my maintenance manager, Sam, and I, we brought in a bunch of gorgeous captive bred clownfish and, and grew them out, um, had them ready to go. We couldn't get rid of them. We <laughs> didn't know who would take them. Nobody was signing up for these clownfish. And I mean, when, when I say we hold fish, we hold fish for like four to six months. You know, we're, we're really growing them out, quarantining them. They're super solid fish. So I, we have all these money into these stupid captive bred clownfish and nowhere to go. <laughs> Um, thankfully we did have, we have some really big maintenance accounts. So we, we convinced one, Hey, 28 clownfish is going to look fantastic in your tank. Give you a good deal. Harem. Harem. Um, Let's go. And, uh, and they literally create this little ball in this 3000 gallon tank. They have plenty of hiding. It's, it's actually turned into a really, really cool display. It was not our intention. Um, but yeah, eels are the big, the big ask for sure. That's, that's funny. And I feel like it, it's gotta be what eels and sharks, right. And maybe stingrays or something. Cause I feel like a lot of these guys, they don't, they see, you know, the, the, the James Bond movies with the sharks in the background and things. And they're like, I want that in my, yeah. you know, in my dental yeah. office or whatever. But yeah, I would say, yeah, it depends on where you're at. And, uh, um, like, so when I was in Southeast Michigan, my phone would ring two, three times a week for, I need a shark tank. And I'm like, what? No, you don't. Uh, and I think just by the time someone finds out about Tangier, sees the website and whatnot, and if they see any shark tanks that we've done, they're you know tens of thousands of gallons and probably not something that someone wants to get into. So I don't know why we don't hear about it as much, but we hear some really funky stuff. So being uh, known for more bigger custom builds, we'll get residential clients that call us and say, hey, I, you know, I have to scuba dive my tank. That's the most common thing I hear about big residential tanks is I have to be able to dive my tank. And then I've had a couple times, I really want to be able to walk through the tank, like in a tunnel. 
<laughs> and yes, I want to walk through your tunnel tank too, man. Um, but you know, we're, we're, we're talking about, there's only, you know, certain public aquariums that can have that type of tank. So once we start talking about stocking it and, and, and the fact that there's going to be two divers in there six days a week cleaning it, uh, you know, we, we, we escape those pretty quick, I think. We did. I, I don't know if you guys had seen it. Um, we've only been able to share snippets of it, and I'm hoping to do a photo shoot there. But we did a, a legit, what what I call a James Bond villain style pond this year. Uh, and it was for sharks and stingrays, and it's in a floor um, with a couple little bridges that go over top of That's it. That's awesome. And That's uh, awesome. yeah, it was something like me and the whole team, we were just geeking out when we were there. And so we never, well, we very rarely see these things stocked. When when we're done with the tanks, they're typically not even aquascaped. So we'll build everything. We get them water tested. Uh, we water test for a minimum of 24 hours. That's going to show us any leaks, you know, threaded or, or glued fittings that we have to go back and look at. Um, we drain them down. And, and then if it's a public aquarium, it's up to the public aquarium team to take it from there and decorate it and get it ready for animals and so forth. So we were all really excited for this pond I mentioned, but it just looked like a hole in the ground when we were done, you know, and the decor around it was starting to look pretty cool. But the, uh, the, uh, the, the client's maintenance person sent me some photos the other day and, and we actually got to see some rays in the pond kind of swimming together. And, um, it was really, really cool. That's so that, that, that type of exhibit needs a public aquarist to, to take care of it on the side. That's, know? that's really cool because on my side, I get to see even less. Yes. <laughs> so we work on these projects. We don't even get to see it like in this setting. It's where we've got components that are going to be stacked up on a pallet or multiple pallets and put in a truck. And then it's just disappears. Um, because, you know, most of these projects get tied up in NDAs or with clients where you're not, let's say Tenji as the installer isn't maintaining it. So then it just kind of dies out. So at least you get to see a next level of what the work that you put into like resulted in, which is really, really cool. Sometimes, sometimes I was just thinking, man, I send you pictures pretty frequently, but they're of things that I break <laughs> that I need replacements of. <laughs> hey Raj, look at this reactor that i shattered into pieces and mind you when i say this i'm breaking them we drop stuff you know the way we work it's an active construction site and, and stuff happens but yeah so i'll try and be better about that raj maybe we'll get you some photos that uh you know look good well that that, that was kind of my resolution this year that i dropped the ball on big time was just for the team like i wanted them i wanted to get them photographs of the finished display so that i can you know, put it up on kind of like a cork board or something and say, Hey, this is the project that you worked on and such and such, you know, because for them, it's even more of a dead end because they, they're not aquarists, so they don't really know. And they're, they're not privy to a lot of the information that I will probably have on the design yeah. side. You know, they they've got a different set of drawings. They're working off of CAD drawings, um, that has no renderings, no nothing. Yeah, so, they're not pretty. <laughs> they're not pretty, right? It, it's just blew this. Yeah, that's right. It's blueprints, and yeah, yeah. So yeah, maybe we, maybe we'll make a better effort for that in twenty four. 
we, we have a stand builder we work with down in LA and, and this guy builds phenomenal steel stands for us and in all sizes and he can bend metal like no other. It's, it's really awesome. Uh, but you know, he's a, he works with steel and, and, and he does things for all industries, server racks, all kinds of stuff like that down there. So I sent him these pictures of his gear in the middle of a public aquarium with like a sea turtle swimming in the tank next to him. And he's like, what the hell is going on over there? You know? <laughs> Uh, he, I really like getting him riled up with with the, the stuff that we do, but uh, and then he's more excited when I call him. You know, it's not just another random stand. It's hey, this is going for some research project, or it's going to this school with a marine program. You know, marine science program. So, yeah, we do fun stuff, but uh, yeah, I think we all wish we saw more of the the end of it, right? Is, what uh, is, what do you enjoy more, the public aquarium side or? the residential let's say it 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 totally depends on the client you know um i i love all my clients that i work with we are and, and i mean that we are thankfully in a position that we can that we can we can be a little choosy you know the the, the project has to excite us to a certain point and make sense um has three departments were design and build, and then we have maintenance. And so if it's out of town, I need it to involve both design and build, not just one or the other. And if it's in town, we typically want it to involve the maintenance team too. Um, so that kind of directs us towards which client we're going to work with to begin with. And, and then after that, I like the client that gives us the most artistic freedom. And through me understanding that over the past 21 years that I've been doing this, it's helped me work with other trades so much better. When I'm working with a general contractor for my own house, or when I'm working with someone who's a technician on a car or, or an artist for some project that I'm engaging them for, it's like, hey, if you're if the shoe's on the other foot, Austin, you're going to want some of this artistic freedom. Afford that to them. And, you know, hopefully that comes back over time to you as well. Um, I mean, we, I've had a couple clients in the past. If you listen to this, I still love you, but, uh, you know, we do like a big faux insert. So a big fake reef insert made out of resin. There's some beautiful artists make really beautiful stuff. I know our reef listeners will be like, ah, blasphemy, but they look really cool when you do them right. And, and in like a, you know, a 20,000 gallon tank, uh, you know, the, most public aquariums do the faux stuff, but we've done a couple in the private sector and, and I've had clients that want to like pick out the exact coral that goes there yeah and if there's like 300 coral that goes on these things you know it, it just doesn't work that way so so over the years i've gotten pretty good at directing how those conversations go as you know raj but <laughs> it is a learned thing um i would say typically i probably like the residential stuff more because that's that's just where i'm born from in this industry you know and and for the most part i'm talking to someone who's really really into it that is, of course, true with the aquarists on the public aquarium side. But oftentimes I'm not working with the aquarists on the public right. aquarium side. I'm working with their architects, their designers, who are all great people, but they're not aquarium people. So when I have a conversation one on one with the actual end user in the residential world, they're excited about this from start to finish, about every little nut and bolt. And they can't wait to get an animal in there where if it's a three or four year long public aquarium build and and you know we're dealing with a general contractor he maybe can't wait to get out of there and move on to the next project and has could care less about fish in general he's doing a great job with us but it's just not 
the same type of conversation that happens. Um, so in that sector, to me, those it's more like I'm a general contractor and, and I'm a builder, um, you know, because we're talking about trellis hangers and how to anchor things with Simpson strong tie epoxy and blah, 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 and things that I literally did not care about or couldn't care less about when I started off being an aquarist. Um, but it's the natural, you know, progression of things. None of us thought we were going to be plumbers, right? Probably none of us thought we were going to be, you know, gluing animals to rocks and submerging them, you know, like there's all these little things that happen. And I guess for me, it's just kind of gone off the deep end in a lot of ways. And, and now I, I, I do talk about four inch thick acrylic tanks and things like that. It's hot. (laughs) (laughs) You don't, you don't have to say who, but do you, do you have any celebrities on, on the, uh, on the roster? Uh, yes, the, I I can, yeah, I I certainly can't say who I can say that we did a tank in little Wayne's old house. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, apparently not so politely asked to leave the property by the neighborhood after, he asked to build a skate park on the roof. The neighborhood said no, and he did it anyways. Nice. Um, the skate park was still partially intact when we were there, so we got to go up and check it out. Um, it so is ridiculous. Down, but Travis Kelsey just moved into a new house in Kansas City. If you need to, uh, if you need any coverage of that, I might be able to help. Let's go hang out, yep. hang out at Travis Kelsey's house. He, so. yeah, <laughs> he needs a yeah. Guy. Are you are? Yeah. He needs a huge yeah. reef tank. Um, Austin, are you doing any maintenance uh, these days regularly? Um, well, I kind of mentioned it before we went live, but I have a super small aquarium here. It's actually a coworker, my coworker Brian's former aquarium. It's like a 20-ish gallon all-in-one. <clears throat> and um, I have a habit of, uh, well, I'm still a total fish nerd at the end of the day, right? So I have a habit of falling in love with some new captive bred fish some rarer fish that hasn't been done before. And, and typically when they're released, I try and support that side of the industry by buying a couple. Um, I bring them home, condition them, fatten them up, and and then offer them to a client over time. So uh, yes, but that would be the extent of my maintenance for the most part. Um, we have a phenomenal maintenance team. And when we build a new local tank, I take the lead on how Austin would do maintenance on this tank. And then we are pretty transparent and open that an Aquarius that we hire can do it in their own method within certain guidelines, if you will. Um, So (laughs) I will totally admit that I'll go out and set the initial guidelines and they're changing more than ever nowadays when I come back (laughs) around. They're like, oh yeah, you you can listen to Austin, but then we're going to, we'll show you how it's really done. Um, (laughs) and, And I couldn't be more proud of the team that we have in place. So I am totally cool with that. Um, but yeah, the, the, my aquarium maintenance is pretty much relegated to this little all in one I have at home at, at this point. So my, my next question is based around the maintenance part. Could you remember or, or uh, when you're teaching or when you're teaching protocol or whatever, take us through a maintenance on like a 100 to 300 gallon aquarium at a, at a residential home from start to finish the steps that you guys would do. Cause I know it it probably varies from the hobbyist to kind of where you guys are at on a commercial level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and 100 to 300 is a big range for, for what we would do, but, but the, the basis is, is all the same, right? So for, for that size tank, we, whenever possible, we have a way that we plumb our water mixing tanks 
into the sump of the system, typically an ISOMP. And um, as we're doing a water change, you know, you, you mix your salt in your saltwater mixing bin, and then you turn a valve at the sump and, and at the mixing bin, you actually send freshly mixed salt water into the sump that's pumped up to the tank via the supply pump. And then there's a bulkhead elsewhere in the tank to catch the overflowing water, the excess water that we're essentially displacing with the new water we're pumping in. So when Tenji builds the system, we do everything in our power to build that for our clients, no matter if we're maintaining it or not, because it's just the best way to do it. You don't have hose lying around, there's no buckets, and it's really straightforward way of doing maintenance. So what I'm about to say would involve that. So the first thing they're going to do is they're going to walk in and they're going to mix their salt, get it ready to rock if it's not already mixed. Um, then they're going to go and clean the acrylic or glass and uh, any background, basically shake out any algae that you would, and you're going to have a nice clear water column for when you start. Uh, then you're going to go and either siphon the sand bed or stir the sand bed. A couple different methods there. Both work, assuming you have a shallower sand bed. We don't run anything over two and a half, three inches typically. Um, deep sand beds definitely work. They can denitrify. It's a different conversation. They do crash over time, so we don't run them. Um, so clean your sand bed, whatever that means to you. Most of the time now, we're just stirring this, the substrate, letting it get up into the water column and kind of go down in the filter socks. And that's the easiest way to get it out because then you can take your filter socks out at the end put in your fresh filter socks or media or roller fleece, whatever you're using. Um, we definitely believe in a pre-filter to keep the rest of the system running its best, keep the water column super clear. Um, so we've cleaned the glass, we've cleaned the substrate, and now we're going to probably look at, uh, if there's two part, we're gonna look at topping those reservoirs off. Several other little things we can do while the salt's still mixing, if that hasn't been done in advance, right? So that's going to be cleaning the protein skimmer cup, making sure that all the equipment is operating correctly. So we're, our maintenance team is really good about prophylactically checking things. Uh, I've been in a position in the past where I was stretched so thin, I couldn't do that. And you wind up being a maintenance company that just bounces around replacing things all the time. Well, we're thankfully really good about being on top of that. And so, okay, this heater's starting to look a little wonky. Let's take it out, replace that. Uh, this pump needs to be clean. We're going to do that. Oh, we found the impellers broken as we're cleaning this pump. So again, just all this prophylactic little things. Um, they're only cleaning the pumps, you know, thoroughly like that every few months. We're not, I'm not, I'll be honest about that. We're not in there cleaning those weekly. Um, and, and then we're going to implement the water change. Um, after the water change, we'll just make sure that the sensors, if the top off is, is doing its thing, are operating correctly, turn the power heads back on and call it a day. Um, I will say we're typically doing maintenance at least once a week, once or twice a week for most of our accounts. Um, so once a month, there's going to be some additional stuff, which could include a pump cleaning, cleaning the diffusers on the lights or the LEDs, you know, getting a toothbrush and the overflow teeth, making sure that that's really clean. Uh, once a year, we'll do a little bit bigger overhaul. If the pumps need to be like removed, if they're hard plumbed in, you know, with unions, we can do that. We have a way of hooking up vinyl tubing to barbed fittings on chillers. And so we'll run like a um, acid solution through there to clean any calcium out of there if necessary. Um, we've totally clogged up chillers with two part before not paying attention to how it was mixing. So if you guys uh, notice your chillers not working as well, I'll check for that if you're using two part. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point while, you know, uh, salt is mixing to 
to just check the equipment, yeah. you know, prophylactically, like you said. I, I, I think a lot of people, including myself, kind of don't do that step as much as we should. Sure. And then we run into problems down the road. Obviously, you're doing this on a commercial level or a more professional level than most hobbyists. So um, I just wanted to check and see how that lined up with, you know, a typical, you know, water change on a hobbyist tank. So I, I think that's 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 pretty pretty cut and dry. So thanks for taking us through that. Yeah, of course. And remember, I, I'm, I'm a hobbyist at heart, you know, so so anything yeah. that I learned in that in that realm, in, in fact, some of the stuff when when I came to Tenji, and, and I love Mark and Ed to death, but there were things from a hobbyist mindset that I brought to Tenji. And that was kind of like Eureka bulbs. And of course, there were things they said from the public aquarium side of things. Oh, Jesus, I've never even heard of that. Like octopus hate astroturf. That's very well known in the public aquarium industry. <laughs> You probably, most hobbies have probably never heard of it. You actually don't need a top on most octopus tank. You just line it with AstroTurf. Yep. They can't suction to it. They hate the feel of it. You're good to go. Um, <laughs> and, you know, for many years, I was building octopus tanks, trying to screw the lid down and whatnot. No, you don't need any of that. But uh, Hang on. I need to order an octopus for my own. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, the bigger changes in maintenance start to happen around 1,000 gallons, certainly at a couple thousand gallons. And, you know, when, when we start getting into that, we're utilizing other pieces of equipment to lower the amount of water changes or percentage or frequency or amount of water used during a water change. Um, so, you know, we're talking big commercial denitrators from MRC, that kind of thing. Um, you know, we'll implement additional reactors to run even more media that we normally wouldn't run. But when you're filling up a 5,000 gallon water mixing tank, that gets really expensive, you know, so a weekly 25, 30 plus percent water change is oof. Um, and we'll share the numbers with a client before we build this thing. Like, look, this is probably what it's going to take you to run this in a year. And I've been really far down the road with a couple clients that have plenty of money to do what they want with a big tank. And we look at the maintenance and they're like, oh, let's yeah. cut this in half. And that's not us doing maintenance. That's them doing it themselves. So we're just talking power consumption, salt, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um it adds up. How, how do you feel about uh, refugiums? Uh, <clears throat> you have to twist my arm to implement one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm wondering, because you guys, are, you know, you need to be, you need to be kind of squeaky clean and get this stuff in and out, and you know, do a couple, maybe three or four maintenances in a day. I mean, you got to be in and out. I, I would imagine a refugium might, might, you know, clog that up a little bit. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Most of our technicians are only doing one or two accounts per day. Like we try to give them a lot of time on site to do like the best job. I mean, our, our reef tanks, if you look at some of the Insta posts and stuff, like they look magazine cover type quality. That's what we're pushing them to do. You know, it's not the maintenance company that I was brought up working for, you know, or even ran for a minute. I mean, we eventually turned into it, but um, it's just a different style of doing things. Um and so I think it just kind of depends on the direction they, they want to go with it at, at the end of the day. Um, they want some cool macro algae. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, refugiums are phenomenal. They absolutely reduce nutrients. You know, I mean, I've played with the Triton method on my own at the office for a while. And, and I think that's just amazing. Um, the thing that we run into on a really wide scale is there's just a lot more nuance to running a system like that. 
Um, if you implement a big water change, you're going to bring down the algae growing parameters, your nitrates, your phosphates, you're going to bring those down and you're going to um, stabilize your coral building parameters, your calcium, alkalinity, magnesium. And you do all of that, which as we all know, is some of the most important stuff with one thing and it's water change. Um, you know, so when we start to get away from that, um, what's our end goal? So the first conversation I would say with the client, and I've been you know, I, we've built a lot of refugiums and I've had clients just say that they really want them. Great. That's all you need to tell me. But if, you're, is your, goal, if your goal is growing, you know, beautiful coral with some beautiful fish in a display tank, having a refugium on any smaller system, in my opinion, is going to detract you and, you know, take a lot more time away from these other tasks that you're going to have to do at some point. Aptasia, Valonia, probably have some type of flatworm or some type of ailment outbreak for your fish. Um, you know, as we grow through the industry. So when people set themselves up with the refugium, well, you already have another couple pieces of equipment to maintain. Um, and there's some chances of failure there if that refugium, you know, grows a lot and you're not paying attention, they can overflow. Um, but do they work? Do they reduce nutrients? Absolutely. Um, just the way that we build systems, we can do it way more efficiently without them. Sure. Yeah, sure. So what is some... What are some takeaways that hobbyists can can get that you have learned from the public aquarium side, right? Just some tr tricks and tips that they use that, like you said, it's that eureka moment, like, damn, that's pretty good, right? Yeah. That we can yeah. scale down and use in as a hobbyist. Uh, do your water changes. <laughs> Like, like number one, when I, the difference between talking to hobbyists and aquarists, that's probably the main conversation I get into is hobbyists asking, how can I avoid doing water changes and public aquarists saying, just do a water change. Um, it, it's just kind of like the, it's, it's just the thing to do, um, you know, in the public aquarium industry. And then I'm lucky to be local to Monterey Bay Aquariums down the street here and they have a flow through system. So they cheat. constant water change, constant water change, you know, and, and, uh, I have a couple of friends that work up there and, and I'm like, are you an Aquarist or do you just turn up the valve and, you know, do a bigger <laughs> water change? And, um, and, you know, there's, there's a couple of MRC skimmers back there, but um, they, they don't have to have them do much because it is a constant water change. So yeah, that, that's a big thing. And, and I'm guilty of it too. Nobody likes doing water changes. So when I give presentations, the thing that I try to hit hard is build yourself a water mixing station. That's easy to use and that you can dump a whole bucket or box of salt into at once mix it up and you have the correct salinity, you can walk away and now you have a couple weeks or a couple months or several months worth of salt mixed up, ready to go. If you have an emergency situation, you can refill that, dump a bucket of salt in there, walk away and you're good to go. Um, so we do a lot of 200 gallon mixing bins for residential yep. builds because that's kind of like the bee's knees for that size, you know. Um, the other thing for public aquariums that is not ever a question is having backup power. Um, I'm Talk, I talk to a lot of doctors and lawyers about what are you going to, how often do you lose power and what are you going to do when your office loses power? And, and I'm kind of met with a deer at the headlights. You know, there's some really great little battery backups that are available, but my opinion is that those are just used until you can get a generator running. Um, so having backup power is, is totally commonplace there. Um, having, happy having, right now. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, quarantine. You know, quarantine is, I mean, there's there's a couple mom and pop type public aquariums I've been involved with, I guess, um, that kind of struggle with that just based on labor and space alone. But 
Um, for the most part, especially anything AZA affiliated, the bigger aquariums we go to, um, quarantine is not a question. There's specific spaces set up for it. To, if there is any issues, even something as simple as cryptocarrion uh, like ick, um, only certain staff is allowed in that room for the whole day, and they cannot go into the rest of the public aquarium gallery because they'll cross-contaminate it. Um, they'll have foot baths, they'll have jackets, all kinds of stuff. So it's, you know, backup power and having quarantine are things that we like to think about adding at some point. But the reality is if we don't have them, we shouldn't be doing anything else until we kind of figure yeah. that out. Um, you know, common thread on this podcast is, yeah. you know, having backup power. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and with that said, the next thing would be backup parts. I, I always struggle to understand, you know, I, I, because we don't do a ton of uh, residential stuff here and there's not like a super great small hobby community locally anyways. We have to go to San Jose, so about an hour away and it's phenomenal. Um, but we don't get a lot of calls in, anymore. I used to in Michigan, like, oh, I need this pump. My tank's dying. I don't have the main pump back up or an impeller or, you know, an extra power head or something that my system requires to not only thrive on, but just to survive on. Um, that That's something that we don't ever talk about in the public aquarium industry. My quotes come with backup pumps and backup this and backup that. Um, at least the main stuff, you know, um, you don't necessarily have to have a backup everything, even light. We typically don't have any backup light because even stoning corals will be fine for 72 hours without light. Um, it gets cloudy on the reef, but, uh, everything else you definitely want to have in your back pocket ready to go for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. I would, man, I'd probably say 70 to 80% of the average hobbyist does not have a backup return pump. Yeah, hand. definitely. Yeah, and if you're like the all-in-one tank I'm looking at over here, it's like forty dollars. But you know, yeah. and then even if it's two hundred, it's two hundred. With e-tailers this day, these days, able to get you things so quickly, I don't know. Do you know? Do you really need to invest that much into all of these backup parts? I mean, you yeah. know that. Yeah. You've got your local stores that you can obviously run to, but. They, they don't carry everything. Um, and, and that's where these e-tailers really uh, kind of taken over is they can, they do carry everything and they can get it to, to you so damn quickly now. Are you, are you, are you talking about top shelf aquatics overnight shipping, Raj? <laughs> <laughs> talking to Steven and seeing what products they will actually overnight. I was blown away. Like it's not just the smaller components. I am talking he was talking about bigger pumps and bigger items that they will have to your door the next day. That just sounds almost ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. I'm super impressed. You're, shipping you're, you're also giving every hobbyist a way out of having a backup <laughs> pump on hand right now. You realize that. <laughs> I think you have your backup pump. You just don't have your backup everything. Else. You don't have your backup everything else. Yeah. I mean, you've got to have a contingency yeah. plan. At least, right? I'd so for me, I'd say a heater is probably good to have on hand as well. Well, that, but you know, so for me, I never really kept a backup return pump because my contingency plan was I've got flow in the tank itself, in the display. And as long as I have a contingency plan for that, I'm okay. I can do without a return pump for a couple of days. You know, the fish are not going to, the water quality isn't going to degrade that badly in two days that I can't get a pump, get it in, installed and be back up and running. 
But yeah. dig it. Yeah. That dig doesn't it. necessarily scale, right? When you're dealing with multi-thousand gallon aquariums, now the game has changed. Yeah, we got about 40 minutes till stuff starts to die. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that is so quick. Ugh. For the heavily stocked. Oh, man. The anchovy tank, yeah, if it's an anchovy or sardine tank, you've got about 15 minutes. <laughs> wow. Man, that's crazy. How, do you guys use UV on all your tanks, on all your systems? Most of them, yeah. Most of them, for sure. Um, I mean, at, at, at the I know it's heavily debated. It, it's not under our rooftop where I, I'll totally admit most things are. Our company will debate metal halides, LEDs, pump choices, all of this. But when it comes to UV, we just we don't debate it. Um, it's pretty rare anyways. And, and the main reason is that it's a, it's a phenomenal safeguard. At the very least, it's a phenomenal water clarifier. Uh, nobody can argue that if it's implemented right. Um, but then we we do take it those next ladder rungs, depending on the system, depending on what we're designing for. And those next ladder rungs are going to be to control uh, certain types of waterborne bacterias and then even eventually parasites um, and, and everything in between. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 you know, if it's like a small residential reef tank or something, we might not implement it if there's only going to be a few fish and they're on a super tight budget. Um but, you know, I'm, I'm still going to try to put at least a little something on there that's, that's going to do the work for us. Um, definitely, we, we firmly believe in them. Gotcha. That's good, good info. Um, well, I want to I be cognizant of your time, uh, and I know we're coming up on our, our end here, but uh, definitely want to have you on again. I feel like we, we only kind of grazed the surface of, of what you do, and I really want to talk about fish next time we uh, get you back on. Oh, definitely. I know that you're a yeah. big fish guy. Uh, in, in prior years, that was definitely uh, you know, a big portion of what we did, and, and – I'm, I'm looking at the, yeah, I'm looking at a pair of Keprofed Interruptus that I've been conditioning for a client. So I'm, I'm still in the world, uh, to some, to some degree. Um, and, uh, and you know, we, we actually, I will say that we, we don't quarantine in house anymore. We're working with a pretty phenomenal company down in LA. Um, because thankfully we're busy, you know, and quarantining animals correctly takes a lot of time and time is money. Um, and so if we can outsource something that I truly trust, uh, we're, we're going to do it, but I can talk about fish all day long, Remy. So you let me know and I'll be back <laughs> for sure. Yeah. The, uh, the interrupt is angel. I want in my tank at some point the, our LFS has had one for the past year and a half. And because it's $3,500 and nobody is buying it and oh, this thing yeah. just eats coral like crazy <laughs> it's so fat <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it's as big as they will get right sure for a you know dwarf angel or whatever but it 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 picks it i was like so is he uh is he eating coral and they're like oh yeah oh yeah yeah he, he eats everything so i mean the trick uh, with he, angels in a in a nutshell is grow your coral faster than they can eat it there you go yeah yeah <laughs> but don't put them in a young tank put them in a well-established this, this pair is going into a very grown out reef tank my maintenance team is going insane they're like you're gonna kill all the coral man this is horrible we've been working so hard for years blah 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 and i'm like Meh. they're just mowing the grass you know don't worry about it and, uh, <laughs> it's all natural it's all natural <laughs> corals are super healthy they'll be able to take a little beating so yeah but yeah thanks so much for well, having me guys this was awesome 
Yeah, I want to thank you for uh, for joining us on the Reef Therapy Podcast. If you've got any questions for Austin or Raj or myself, please post them in the comment section below. I want to thank ICP Analysis for being an awesome sponsor. More at icpanalysis.com. And uh, we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks, guys.